I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by Al Letson that he first shared on the podcast in July of 2014. Here's Al with the story we call Welcome, Brother. Hey, hey, hey. I escaped from Florida, too. Where are my Florida peoples in the house? I mean, thank you, sir. Good to see you. Glad you got away. Um, so yeah, my name is Al Letson. I do a lot of different things, uh, but I wasn't always called Al Letson. When I was a kid, everybody called me Alfie. Let me tell you, like it was torture because that was like not too long after the Michael Caine movie came out, and everybody would sing, "What's it all about, Alfie?" You know this song. Please don't ever sing it again. Anyway, um, so as as a kid. Um, I was an only child. I was pretty lonely. Uh, I, I like to think of myself as the original Calvin and Hobbes. Like I had like this crazy imagination. And for the most part, I entertained myself. But in my little six-year-old heart, I had a deep, deep longing desire. I wanted a sibling so bad. I mean, like it was all I talked about, all I dreamed about. I needed to have somebody that could play with me, someone that we could have fun with. And at six years old, I really didn't know much about how that worked. I just knew that I had to talk to my parents to make it happen. And I'm really comfortable with saying, like, I was one of the cutest kids ever. But I was also one of the most irritating little fucks ever. <laughs> and I could talk so much and so long. So I just talked, 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 and begged my mom and dad, please, 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 please. Until one day they decided that they were going to give in and they said, hey, we're going to adopt. 
And at six years old, this sounds really fucking cool. Because suddenly, like, I get a kid that I can instantly go out and play with. Like, I don't have to do the diapers and the baby stuff. Like, I can get a kid my age. We could just have fun. This would be great. Excellent. So, I don't know how adoptions work these days, but back then... Uh, and this is like in the early 80s, you like would go to a place, you'd meet a couple kids. If you liked one, then they'd come home for a day or two. Then they'd go back and then they'd come back for a week or two and then they'd go back and forth until finally they stayed for like six months. And then after that six-month period, then you know both parties would decide if you wanted to stay together. So uh, we went to this place and I met a couple kids and they were – uh, younger than me or about my age and I don't know like we just didn't hit it off they were kind of boring they were really square and, and and I was really square so if I I was super nerd so if I was really square then they were doubly square and then we went like so at the time I was living in Plainfield New Jersey uh, which is you know at the time was kind of suburby um, but then we went down to I don't want to say an orphanage but an adoption center in Newark, New Jersey. And back then, Newark was the ghetto. It was hardcore. Like, you didn't go to Brick City at all unless you absolutely had to. But we went down there, and we met this kid, and his name was Lawan. And from the minute I met him, like, I loved this kid. He was so cool. I mean, he knew how to talk to women, the little girls that were walking around. Um, he had cool sneakers on. They were beat up and ugly, but they were cool. I mean, he, he was just cool. And when my parents walked away, he was cursing with me. I was like, this is great. Like, I never cursed in my life. He taught me how to say motherfucker. That was amazing. So I loved this kid. And he would come to the house, and, and we hung out. And then we did the whole, uh, you know, six-month thing when he was there. And, 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 and that was good. We did, we did a lot of traveling. We ended up going to see family all over to introduce him to family and see how that was going. And when he got there, you know, I had just gotten this brand-new bike this BMX bike that I loved. But I still have my old bike. So now that I got my brother, you know, I let him use my new bike and I would just take my old one. So it was cool and everything was going well. We decided that we were going to go through with the adoption. Great. So we do the adoption. Everything's fine. I've already taken him around the neighborhood. But now that he is my brother, I want to reintroduce him to everybody because I am so proud. And when I introduce him to all the kids, the kids, they, they, they love him. They think he's cool. Again, he's like teaching us how to smoke cigarettes that were on the ground. It was disgusting, but we thought it was cool. <laughs> So nasty. I can I totally have this image of like picking up this cigarette with lipstick on it and smoking it. Like <laughs> So, you know, my brother was the epitome of cool. <laughs> but down the road, just a little bit outside of our neighborhood, was the cul-de-sac. And like I didn't even really know what a cul-de-sac was. I just knew if someone said the cul-de-sac where they were talking about and you stayed the hell away from the cul-de-sac. Because at the cul-de-sac was a kid named Gerard. And Gerard was older than us. He was 16 and he was the neighborhood bully. And everybody in this cul-de-sac was his family. So you couldn't go down there and mess with him because he had a, a ready-made army. And he would come through our little neighborhood and just terrorize everybody. And we were all scared to death of Gerard. Nobody ever went down there. But now I've got a cool big brother. And I'm seven. My brother is 10. And side note, really weird that my parents adopted an older kid. Really fucking weird. <laughs> I'm a parent now, and I'm just like, what the hell were you thinking? I mean, that just does not make any damn sense. 
But whatever. Back to the story. Now, I got an older brother, you know? I mean, Luan is 10. And we're going down to the cul-de-sac, damn it, because I'm going to show him off. So we get down there, and all of Gerard's cousins were out there, and Gerard was there, and I introduced my brother, and Gerard and my brother just stared at each other like two pit bulls. They just circled and really didn't say anything. And then Gerard started picking on me like he normally does. You know, he would talk about my shoes and talk about my bike. Now, my old bike was light blue, and he just loved to talk about how how light blue and corny it was. Anyway, so my brother did not like this kid picking on me, and my brother gets into his face. And Lawan starts talking bad to him and telling him that he better watch his mouth. And me and my little friends are like, ooh, for the first time, Gerard is getting it. And then Gerard, the 16-year-old, balled his fist and punched my brother, the 10-year-old, in the face. And my brother falls on the ground like a sack of potatoes. And everybody just can't believe what just happened. And Gerard moves in. Now, his family comes and grabs him to restrain him. And my brother, who is 10 years old, gets up and he is ready to fight. Like, he is not scared. He is not crying. He doesn't care. He is determined he is going to whip Gerard's ass. But not going to happen. His family separates us, put us on our bike, and we start to ride away. And my brother looks at Gerard and he says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. So we rode away, and I'm, as we're riding off, I'm like, damn, he is a badass. He just got punched in the face, and he's talking about he's coming back. So my brother told me, do not say anything to my mother. I was like, cool, whatever. That night, we're in our room, in our brand new bunk beds, and I'm telling my brother, like, yo, Gerard's a jerk. Don't worry about it. I'm trying to comfort him and everything. And my brother is so mad. Like, he hasn't talked the whole time since we've been home. And he gets down off of the top bunk, and he comes over to me, and he grabs me, and he says, the only reason why I stayed here is because I wanted your bike. And then he proceeds to beat my ass. And when I tell you he beat my ass my brother was very skilled like he didn't hit me in the face he only did body blows that hurt like a motherfucker but you know he made sure that there were no marks and I remember sitting in the bed crying trying to decide if I was going to tell my mother and I thought like if I tell my parents then they were going to send Luan back and if I told them and they didn't send them back then he was going to beat me again so I thought, okay, I'm just not going to say anything because, you know, I, I wanted this kid to be my brother. For the next three years, my brother continued to beat me up on a regular. If he thought I told on him, he would beat me up. If he thought I scraped his shoes, he would beat me up. If he had a bad day at school, he would come home and beat me up. And this was just the normal thing. Back in the day, we used to watch uh, karate flicks. And, and I don't know if any of you did this in your neighborhoods, but in New Jersey, we would uh, Saturday mornings, we'd watch karate flicks, and then we'd go in the street and try to do kung fu on each other. Um, my brother could out kung fu every damn body in the neighborhood. And he somehow got some Chinese stars, and he decided that like I was going to be his uh, practice. And the thing is, is like when he tells you that I'm going to practice with you, you don't have a choice because he'd throw him at you either way. So either you stand still and hope he doesn't hit you, or you try to run away and you definitely get hit. These, these are the kind of things that happened for the next three years. And then my parents come and tell us that they are pregnant and having a baby. What the fuck? You're having a baby? 
I asked for a kid three years ago, and they're having a baby now. So literally within three years, I go from being an only child to a middle child. Who does that happen to? So here I am, middle child, and my parents decide that we need a bigger house now, so we have to move. So we start packing everything up to go. They found a house, whatever. The last day we're in the neighborhood, my parents tell me, um, you guys, go out, ride your bikes, say goodbye to your friends, blah, blah, blah. All right. So we get out the house, and we're going to the bikes, and my brother grabs me, and he says, look, I want you to ride down to the cul-de-sac and start a fight with Gerard. Hell no, I'm not going down there to fight Gerard. If you don't fight Gerard, I'm going to fight you. Now, at this point, I'm 10 years old, and I've begun to learn the game of how to stay away from the pit bull that is my brother and how to keep him happy. And I realized if I didn't go down there to start the fight with Gerard, then my brother was going to beat me up. And it was a calculated risk. Gerard might kill me, but my brother would torture me for the rest of my life, and I'd rather have a quick death. So... I figured, fine, I would just do it. So I got on my bike and rode to the cul-de-sac by myself, and that was the longest ride. And when I got down there, Gerard is out. He's older now. He's 19. He's still got his cousins. They're all hanging. I'm a little 10-year-old kid. I put my bike down, and I go over, and I just start talking mess to Gerard. I specifically remember that I said to Gerard, like, your mother wears combat boots. I think that was a thing back then, but I don't know why. <laughs> so, you know, I'm talking all of this smack, and Gerard is just getting more angry, you know? And I could see him begin to move in. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that my brother had left the house and gone the opposite direction and gone from behind the block. And behind the block, there was a park. Now, in that park, it connected, it went right up into the back of the cul-de-sac. My brother rode into the park, uh, parked his bike, climbed up a hill, waited behind a house, and he could see everything that was going on. He was just hidden. And so as Gerard moved in and got really close to me, my brother ran from behind one of the houses. Gerard's moving in on me. My brother taps his shoulder. And when Gerard turns around, my brother turns to him with a brick in his hand and bashes him in the head. Gerard falls on the ground, blood gushing out. My brother begins to kick him really hard, looks down on him and says, I told you don't mess with the Letson boys. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not lying. <laughs> Everybody is speechless because they are watching this little maniac kick this kid. And finally, when they, the days wears off, people begin to move towards us. My brother grabs me, throws me on the handlebars of my little blue bike, and we ride all the way home. We get home. My parents are pretty much done. We pack stuff up. I put my bike in the back. My brother tells him he left his bike in the park. They drive around, pick up his bike, and we go to our new house. <laughs> that night, we're in the new house, and... Um, Everything is strange. Like, the sounds are different. I've just watched my brother, like, bust some dude's head open. Like, literally, I thought Gerard was dead, you know? And it was just this really surreal moment. And I remember sitting in the bed, being really quiet, because I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to upset my brother. I didn't want him to come down and bash me in the head. But he leaned over, and he looked at me, and he said, for the rest of your life, nobody is ever going to pick on you again. Now, he 
probably should have said for the rest of your life, nobody but me is going to pick on you again. And for the rest of my teenage years, my brother held true. Whenever there was a problem, my pit bull would come out and attack and take care of me. He'd also beat my ass later on, but he always took care of me. And I realized that, yeah, I had adopted a pit bull, but that pit bull was always my brother. Thank you. That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.